On Best Food Forward... One of her most interesting phases was when she tasted bacon and then decided that she just wanted bacon for dinner every night. You know, I was in a battle with myself, just like, I can't feed her bacon, but it is nutrients and it is meat, and she's never eaten meat before, and so, you know... (laughs) The weird and wonderful ways of fussy toddlers. How to stay sane with your little fuss pots. One, two, three, four, five... Best food forward. 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 Best food forward with Nutrition Early Life Nutrition. <laughs> Best food forward with Nutrition Early Life Nutrition. <laughs> this is Best Food Forward, navigating nutrition through life's first 1,000 days. I'm Georgie Coglin and I'm joined by nutritionist, chef and TV host Zoe Bingley-Pullen. Hello, hello. And from Nutrition Careline, dietitian Christine Rocha. Hi, Georgie. So feeding your kids a good, healthy meal can be one of the most satisfying moments as a parent, but most of us have copped a blob of pasta in the face, and we know how it feels when we've slaved over a magnificent meal and it just gets rejected by our fussy toddlers. When Mum Nadal started her daughter, Anae, on solids, things got off to a good start. I introduced solids. And she was quite good. I fed her all kinds of veggies, broccoli, carrot, pumpkin, potato. Um, Then I introduced egg and like boiled egg in there and she was fine. And I did cheese in there and she was fine. It was only when she got a little bit older and she kind of stopped trying things. By the time Anais was 14 months, it was a whole new ball game. I couldn't even get her to eat toast. So you know when your baby goes seven or eight months and then they say, right, start introducing finger food and it was, you know, toast fingers, etc. She wouldn't eat toast fingers. She wouldn't even pick them up. Anais was more of a one-ingredient type of girl. Bananas, bananas. She went through a phase of only eating bananas. I want bananas. Eventually I was able to mix in some other foods with that, so it was like bananas and avocado and bananas and chicken, which I'm sure was very tasty. (laughs) I want bacon, I want bacon. One of her most interesting phases was when she tasted bacon and obviously loved it and then decided that she just wanted bacon Bacon, for dinner every night. You know, I was in a battle with myself, just like I can't feed her bacon, but it is nutrients and it is meat and she's never eaten meat before. And so, you know. No. She didn't even want to eat treats. She didn't like chocolate. The thing was she wouldn't taste anything. Yucky. So she never tasted chocolate. So how was she ever going to know if she liked it or not? No, you know, you'd never seen a mum try and shove chocolate down a child's throat. I was like, taste it. It's good. Nadal kept her cool, but she was concerned her daughter wasn't thriving. She was underweight, which was obviously very worrying for me because not only did she not eat and didn't want to eat, but she was also underweight. Like, I wouldn't have minded it if she was really big and kind of chubby child, but she wasn't a chubby child at all. She was, like, always below the line of average weight and, you know, basically underweight. So I went to see a paediatrician, a children's nutritionist, children's dietitian, um, you know, anyone in the street... (laughs) that I could see and ask. And she, when she was 18 months, she finally hit the line. And that's when I just decided to stop worrying because it was consuming my whole life. I was, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner was just so stressful. And eventually I just went, right, I can't do this anymore. If she just wants to eat bread, she's just going to eat bread. But she also wasn't unhealthy. Eventually she kind of settled into this pattern of eating five foods. Yogurt, bananas, 
avocado, nuts, which were great, and bread. Oh, and eggs. I lie, six. And, I mean, that's a pretty good diet. It's not a bad diet. So what if it wasn't varied? I just had to take what I could get. I read a story from a paediatrician who said he gets parents coming into him saying, oh, their children are starving and they don't eat anything and what are we going to do with them? And his quote was, I've worked in Ethiopia. I've seen starving children. Your child is not starving. They're obviously getting enough calorie intake. You should stop worrying about them and stop trying to force them into doing something that they're not ready for or that they don't want to do. And so that really kind of resonated with me. And I thought, okay, she's not listless. She's not lying on the couch. She's not anemic. She's got energy. She was always bounding around full of energy. So there was no real need for me to worry. Like if your child is on the couch and they're lying down and they can't play or they can't jump and they can't, you know, get on the trampoline, then of course that's when you should worry. But my child was so full of energy. She was amazing. And I thought I didn't want to make mealtimes a stress. That's the last thing you want because, you know, you make mealtimes a stress, she's going to hate dinner even more. So I didn't want to do that for her. So everything I did was really subtle and what I realised was that she just needed a long time to get used to things. She would eat things if she watched us eat it for six months, she'd finally taste it. And so I would eat like tuna salad or some kind of salad every day for lunch. And after about six or eight months, she finally went, oh, I might have some of that. And so then she started eating some of the salad. So it was more about her watching and then finally deciding that she would taste it. So when her sister, she was a much better eater and she loved lamb chops, (laughs) loved them. And it took about six months of her little sister going, oh, and I'd be like, oh, how yummy are they? How, How delicious are they? Until she finally decided to eat a lamb chop and I honestly went into the other room and had a little cry because I was so excited that she ate some meat. Since she's turned five, she has actually started to experiment a little bit more, which is just so exciting. Like, you can imagine I'm just over the moon about it. Like, the other night, I gave her a lamb chop, a bit of broccoli, some pasta, plain pasta, no sauce, and cherry tomatoes. And I thought, oh, that's practically a balanced meal. But it's taken me this long to get there. I know that all children are different, so um, what worked for me might not work for everybody else, but I know that for me, I need to give her time to try new things. I think that you need to give your children some room to grow into themselves and we should stop trying to make them conform into other children, I think. (laughs) Oh, I can so relate to that story about being stressed when your child is not eating. There's nothing better than watching your child complete their meal and think, I don't have to worry about that. I actually took this quite personally as a parent, Molly Rose's eating habits, and when she wouldn't eat something, I would get quite anxious. And it took my mother to say to me, hey, don't force her to eat. She will eat what she needs to eat when she wants to eat. I sort of went, ah. Yeah, it's it's going with the flow. And that's what I love about Nadal. She sort of let her child go Mm. through those phases and let them sort of learn about the food and experiment. Yeah, look, I think I'd definitely take my hat off to her because... Even though this sounds like a very stressful situation, there was a lot of joyfulness in her in her voice, yeah. and I think a lot of people will resonate with that. Saying, "Oh my God, not I'm not the one who's actually doing something wrong here." Well, coming up, we'll chat more about the frustrations of fussy eaters. 
This Food Forward with Nutricia Early Life Nutrition. Welcome back to Best Food Forward. I'm Georgie Coglin, and I'm with nutritionist and chef Zoe Bingley-Pullen and Careline dietitian Christine Rocha. So, ladies, the fussy toddler can be the demise of us all. We think we've got everything sorted, and then suddenly <laughs> these little people decide that, hey, I'm going to test the boundaries here. I'm going to start showing you my character, and I'm not eating that. Mm. How do you deal with fussy eaters? Look, I think it's very interesting because, I mean, I don't even kind of like to call it fussy eaters. I like to call it someone actually learning about food. And yeah. that's so good, yeah, well, that's what it comes to when it, when it comes to children. They're simply just learning things for the first time. And a lot of the time it's the dialogue, it's the environment that can be the biggest issue as opposed to the food themselves. But patience and perseverance is the key here. So let's take a situation where you've prepared a meal. It might be something really basic. It could be just pasta, spaghetti bolognese, relatively you know, healthy, and your child just will not eat it. What do I do? We don't have any negative speak when it comes to food in our household. We don't term food good or bad. Um, We basically, I make sure that actually if I've got something on the plate that Emily will eat, if it's one thing, I'm winning. You know, it's really not about necessarily having too much variety as long as what she's having is good nutrition. So in that situation, would you say to the child, okay, I'm just going to let you sit there for a while and work out whether you're going to eat this or not. Would you give them an alternative? I think that's where people get lost. They yeah. don't know yeah. what to do. With um, with mum here, she, you know, she made it stress-free. She didn't want to have frustration around meal times. She wanted, you know, experience yes. to be n- joyful and, and happy. And so I think it's really important for parents to understand that, you know, if you're sort of making them sit at the table and until they finish that plate of spaghetti bolognese, you know, that's sort of an ultimatum that they're not going to like. I get that, um, but I suppose if I'm working and I'm mm. knackered, yeah. The reality is I don't have time to sit around and play happy families every night. Like yeah. I'm stuffed and I want my child to eat. And so how do Fair I get enough. that child to eat that? That's I think um, the key thing is pick your battles. I think when it comes to actually finding a situation, so there's lots of different environments that we can introduce food into. So, for example, yes, you might be tired, but it might be that when you're trying to make changes in a diet, don't do it when you're tired. Don't no. do it when you're stressful. Give them the food that, that they do like, that they will eat, that you know ticks the boxes in regards to nutritional density and choose the once a week, the once a fortnight to be the time that you introduce something new. Change the environment. Sitting on the floor having a picnic. Get some of their friends over. If you've got a niece or a nephew that's a good eater, get them in their safety and numbers. Get yeah. them to, you know, follow the other kid that actually does eat well as well. And interaction. I mean, I really find that if I'm introducing something new to Emily, I'll get her involved. Well, Molly Rose, one thing that's really turned her around is growing our own food. Now, not yes, everyone can yeah. do that, but getting the kids really involved in the produce. So she yes. will go out and pick the cherry tomatoes. She'll go out and pick the lettuce. She'll talk about, oh, this is yeah. the potato that I grew with granddad, mum. And I feel that ownership to food's really helped. And we also have another rule in our house that you don't have to finish it and complete it, but you must at least try it. Yes, absolutely. How many times must a child try a food before they even think about liking it? I don't know if you're going to like this answer, but it's 10 to 15 times. And I know that sounds like a lot. And most parents give up after about three goals and they're like, oh, I'm not trying that again. But Persistence is key. And the main thing is, you know, you have small amounts of these foods frequently. Mm. So their little brain's going, oh, that's a new food. And they're sort of compartmentalizing and learning about that food. So that's quite important as well. Yeah, look, I think we don't have to sit there and give a huge amount of variety to get good nutrition. I think that's the key thing. I mean, we are oversaturated in our culture about having more, 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 more. So I think the key things is that we're making sure that we've got a good source of fat, a good source of protein, and a good source of carbohydrate in every single 
single meal. And I always say to parents, that's a real, real win if you can actually do that. Emily's still a child. She's almost three who just likes an uncomplicated yeah. diet. Yeah. I've made many fabulous things that she's just simply looked at and gone, too overwhelming for me, mum. No thanks, mum. Yeah, no thanks, mum. So then I've gone back to the yeah. um, hard-boiled egg with a piece of toast and avocado because that's a win. Keeping it simple. <laughs> so should we be stressed about malnourished kids or... Is that something that we're just probably turning into a bit of anxiety? There are key signs. Obviously, if your child is malnourished and you'll be able to see those signs very, very clearly, they will be listless, they will be um, receptive, they will have Absolutely. very low energy levels. You will see dullness within their eyes, um, circles under their eyes, sleeping patterns that are, that are inconsistent with what they should be as well. And that's when you react. And that's I agree. When you... I agree. There are definitely signs and, and things to watch out for. But I think the first line of defence is making the diet as balanced as possible uh, and you're providing the necessary nutrients for growth and development, um, the texture as well. So, you know, meat is often avoided because it's stringy and chewy. You know, I'm going to have to chew a lot more to swallow this instead of, you know, white plain pasta, for example, there's not much chewing motion mm. happening there. So you might want to, you know, explore that further with yeah. your healthcare professional. It's interesting because, I mean, I had one of my um, friends say to me, oh, my child's just a lazy eater. And I was like, can you just explain that? She's like, oh, you know, she just doesn't like chewing. But what was interesting, I asked her to look a little bit deeper into it. I got her to keep a food diary. We got to have a little bit more sort of insight and diagnosis as to why that was the case as well. Um, I also got her to do a zinc tally test. So um, there's some links now between zinc deficiency and our tongue and our taste and how actually, you know, we stimulate it to certain tastes and driven towards certain tastes as well. So keeping the food diary was a way that she was able to isolate and then she noticed that she, when she did put a little bit of zinc into the child's diet, she was very, very receptive to eating more variety yeah. in her diet. So what are the nutritional demands of toddlers? So they do require higher levels of specific nutrients and they include things like iron, calcium, zinc and DHA or fish oils. It's fine to be relaxed when it comes to these sort of nutrients and as long as parents are aware that the child isn't becoming deficient um, in any of these key nutri nutrients. So how would you navigate to keeping that level of requirement for a I think what it is, it's, it's those omega-3 polyunsaturated fats. They're the key things that we're actually going for. So what that might look like is something like um, a quarter of a cup of avocado, a tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil. So it's not actually as much as you think. That could be mixed Great. into foods. When you're getting your polyunsaturated fats, it could be something like 10 grams of chia seeds. I make an awesome chia porridge. It's literally grated pear, a little bit of cinnamon, um, some kind of a tablespoon of coconut oil in there, and that can go over a couple of meals. It's delicious. Yep. And you can make it in advance, and you can pop it in little jars ready to go for the next meal. So oh, I there's like that. Meals. And when you're looking at things like your carbohydrates, 50 to 60% of the carbohydrates that are consumed are going to that child's brain. Brain. It's, a, it's constantly needed. So that could be something like a, a cup of cooked rice could be it. Again, trying to use more your basmati, your slow-releasing, low-GI-type rice. Um, could be your quinoa if you've got a little bit of a higher protein intake in there as well. Dietary fibre, again, you know, one apple has three grams of fibre in it. It's not right. hard to actually get into the diet. Calcium, iron, those key minerals in the diet, that could be as simple as... 200 grams of natural yogurt. If you've got someone who's got lactose intolerance, you could actually look at things like tahini. I put my tahini into mashed potato. Not hard to get it in the diet. So it's just about being creative with the way that you choose your food. And family dynamics can play a huge role, can't they, in what our toddlers and little people look at about how we value food and how we treat food. I mean, we're a massive foodie household. My husband's in hospitality. He cooks, I cook. We make stocks from scratch. So she's grown up knowing how much value food has in our home. What sort of things do you think we can do to try and encourage kids to value food and value good eating? I think, look, one of the things that I always do, because I do travel a lot for work, um, is I make sure in our household that we have at least one 
meal together. So if I'm traveling, she's got the iPad there and there's me on FaceTime. And we sit down and we have breakfast together. Or we oh, have so you lunch. eat with her on FaceTime? Mm, that's yeah, lovely. we actually eat together. Because yeah. I've really noticed that she is, she's a lot happier. She doesn't feel like I'm gone mm. as well. There's a bit of mummy there that's in yeah. the day. But also it's very much this sort of unsaid social interaction that we have. You know, it's what they're watching mm. as opposed yes, to what we're listening yeah. to. It's yeah. very, very important that we are modelling ourselves I'm not saying we need to be perfect people, yeah. very much far from that. I think we just need to be aware of how we talk about food, our passionate affair with food, our hate affair with food. And so we're making it about the fun element of food as opposed to even what it tastes like, whether it be you, you know, you take them shopping and they get to choose the bananas or you get them to, you know, help you peel the capsicum. Don't even worry if they don't eat it. Food knowledge and food love stars from the first interaction that you can have with them. And that's where it starts. You know, you really need to get them involved, get them, you know, um, excited about food and Mm. get them to help you. You know, even setting the table, um, you know, preparing for for the meal because, you Mm. know, sitting down for a meal, it's such a social thing, you know, sitting down with family. It's a ritual, isn't it? It's it's showing the kids from a young age that it's a beautiful ritual that we can all really enjoy. Absolutely. It's the base that often we're we're missing now, I think, Mm. which is quite interesting. There's a lot of knowledge out there, but we still don't talk about how important it is to eat with our children. Such great ideas. Thank you so much for joining me, Zoe Bingley-Pullen and Christine Rocha. And a big thanks to Nadal, of course, for sharing her story. If you'd like more information and to get further advice, head to our website, bestfoodforwardpodcast.com with Nutrition Early Life Nutrition.